Hey friends, welcome back to What We Don't Know. This is Xander Schultz. My guest on this episode is Yossi Serjan. He's the founder and lead cultural organizer at Task Force. A lot of change makers and activists talk about the need to shift and influence culture, but I've only met a few folks that I believe know how to do so repeatedly, and Yossi is definitely one of those people. He previously led a little thing called Obama's Hope Campaign. I think you remember it back in 2008. Those posters were everywhere. And he's currently leading an initiative called Into Action that's making gifts and memes for the progressive movement. We're at a pivotal moment in our society, and in these moments, artists always play huge roles. So I'm excited to share this episode with you today. Let's get into it. Yossi, tell me a story. You ended up running Obama's Hope Campaign. How'd that go down? Sure. In 2006, I was working for Toyota. I was at a small agency doing marketing and communications. And we were launching a new youth brand called Scion at the time. I was with, it was, it was a small group of us who were engaging in selling cars by influencing hip hop. We were sponsoring tours, we were making films, we were getting graffiti artists to come and paint on cars. It was a lot of fun. Like what I was doing had, I got reward from doing cool stuff. Like I was around cool people, we were doing cool things. But like I still had like a giant gaping hole in my soul that like at a certain point in your career, you know you're good at what you do. Like it's not hubris, you've just been doing it a while, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty good at this, you know? but I didn't feel like what I was doing was good enough. And um, uh, through a friend, I met um, Valerie Jarrett, who was Obama's senior advisor when he was still a congressman. And they were like, hey, he's gonna run for presidency, are you in? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And they were like, come join the comms team. And I was like, um, I don't come from politics, I have like tattoos and was kicked out of high school. Like, I don't really do that thing. And they were like, well, help. <laughs> and I like accepted that call and I come from culture. I come from, I was like kicked out of high school for like raving, you know, or breakdancing or graffiti. Like I, I come from what was happening in school was in black and white. What was happening out of school was like technicolor. You know what I mean? Like I come from this. And so I brought this to the party cause that's what I know. The charge that was given to me is as Valerie left was the only way we're going to win is if people feel comfortable engaging in a political process that they've been intentionally excluded from for generations, right? Like we have intentionally limited the conversation of politics to a select few. And the only way we're gonna win is if we bring everybody to the table. They were like, we have no idea how to do that, help us figure it out. And I don't think she actually thought I was gonna do it or try to do it even, but I, I took that on. And, uh, and so that looked like me doing what I know how to do, which, you know, now is kind of like, yeah, duh. Back then it felt very revolutionary. I want to remind people that I launched the Hope Posters on MySpace. So let's just put this into context, right? <laughs> that, this, is, this is some old shit. So what we did was we, we launched that one poster and everyone knows that image. And I, I commissioned Shepard. I adjusted the creative until it got to the point where we were both, Shepard and I, were comfortable saying that this was going to be a thing we could take out to the world. And I was behind all the 
buttons and stickers and posters and hats and shirts that you saw out in the world. But what people don't know is I actually did about 3,000 art projects over the course of the campaign. Um, I took Obama's logo and I put it made 8-bit and I wrote new game under it. And I put that out for the G4. I gave that to Olivia Munn when she was at the G4 network. So like, what we did was we said, how do we engage people where they are? How do we give bike riders, two bike riders get together on a Saturday, they may talk politics, they may not. But if you give them a bike spoke card with this public transportation policy on the back of it, there's a better chance, right? And let bike riders be bike riders. Let punk rock kids be punk rock kids. Let them participate in politics because they've been invited to the party in that way. So like, we don't need everyone to all of a sudden become Van Jones. Like not everybody needs to be a political pundit. We don't need that to win. What we need to win is people just to be at the table as they are. And if I can leave you with one thing before we even get started, it's like, be you. And don't try to, you don't need to change your audience into different people. Your goal isn't to like convert them from who they are to someone else. Nobody wants that. What we want is them bigger, right? We want them engaged. We want them alive. We want them fired up. We want them informed, right? So at the end of the day, at the core of my work is a belief that there's never been a social movement built without artists at the tip of the sphere. And that is hard truth. When I think back to the battle to end AIDS in the United States, like I can't even tell you, there's no law that I can point out to that shaped my understanding of what AIDS did. What I remember is Philadelphia, the movie. I remember Magic Johnson coming out as HIV positive. I remember Pedro on the real world. I remember the quilt and the red ribbon and the act up and the, it's all culture. It's always been culture. It takes culture to change culture and culture to change behavior and behavior to change ultimately policy. And sometimes those are reversed, but what we're seeking ultimately is behavioral change and cultural change. Policies don't change culture. Culture change policies, always, through history. It's funny you mention that. I just spoke with Rashad Robinson on this podcast. He spoke about how it's mandatory to shift culture. Otherwise, oppression just finds another form. You have a super strong theory of change around art impacting culture, which then impacts policy. How do you develop this theory? I mean, I think I instinctually knew it early on. I remember the first time it was an artist named Robbie Canal, who is from the West Coast. And he, he in the late 80s into the mid mid 90s would go out on the street and he would wheat paste art that was like hyper political. He did these things that were like gag me with a coat hanger or like punk is shit and old, by the way, but like rad. It was super cool. He was Shepard pre-Shepard. Shepard looks at him as a, as a mentor. And I remember it was the first time that I was like the cultural ephemeral side of my being connected with my emotional and moral compass. And those two things came together for the first time. And I was like, it was a feeling. It was like, you know, that feeling when like the refrigerator door closes and it like that suction happens, right? Like you're like, these two things fit together and they fit together like perfectly. And it was like, oh wait, I don't have to like over here be a good guy and over here like punk rock, these things fit together. And I can be like all things one. And it was in that moment that I learned the power, I think, of culture as a vehicle for engagement, right? Hip hop had still even not gotten real deep in a lot of ways, you know, by that point, it was still pretty entertainment. A lot of it was entertainment. Public Enemy was, touched my radar. 
Freestyle Fellowship in a later generation. But then came in this skateboarder lifestyle that I was living and I was just like, holy moly, I need to like invest in this in a way. That to me was the, the point of personal connection, culture to change making to my theory of change. At the end of the day, the theory of change is built on a look back on history. I'm a student of, there's a guy named Jeff Chang, who's phenomenal. He's a theorist. He runs the Stanford School of Social Innovation and Creative Diversity, where he talks about the connection between storytelling, narrative, movements, and, and it became the backbone of what I believe. These are all tools and techniques that Coke uses, Scion uses. It's called affinity marketing in, in some circles. It's called influencer marketing today. It changes names every couple of years. We get a little bit more refined as new techniques come out. But the reality is, is it's really basic. It's where do people live? Where are they? What do they like? And how do you engage them there? As opposed to like, it's even today, there's a big problem, man. The de- I'm on the phone with a lot of the democratic machinery and they're like, you know, we're going to make youth-centered ads. And basically what they're doing, they're, they're, they're still making political ads, right? I, I always use things that politics is where some of the people are some of the time. And culture is where everybody is all of the time. If you're making politics, if you're making political ads, you're reaching some of the people some of the time. And their solution to reach everyone is to make a better political ad. And I'm like, you don't fucking get it. My, my nephew's a sneaker collector, right? He follows Bobby Hundreds, Virgil Abloh. He likes Undefeated. He's all about the fucking waking up and sit in front of a store for a couple hours and some shit that I don't understand, but cool. Complex con. The algorithms have learned him. He has influencers he follows. No better political ad is going to change his mind. He needs, you need to make sneaker shit if you're going to reach him, right? He's a sneaker dude who likes sneaker shit. Either you get that equation or you don't. And unfortunately, most people still live in this binary world of like politics or culture. Most people say, they would say like, we, what we need is we need the like unengaged, unengaged. Who the fuck is unengaged? People come in contact with their government every damn day, right? They're coming in contact with police. They're coming in contact with taxes. They're coming in contact with local government. They're coming, government and politics touches all of us all the time. Because somebody chooses not to stay involved in politics, somebody chooses not to vote does not mean that they are unengaged. That is a bullshit frame. Don't fall into it. Everybody is system impacted all day long. So all we have to do is figure out where that system overlays onto their identity and who they are and engage them there, right? If you're somebody who's been touched by mass incarceration, by police violence, by environmental injustice, by immigration, by a fucked up education system, like there's thousands of ways that all of us are touched by systems that are political in their nature. And the goal is to touch them there and to get them fired up and turned on. And then you can say, now, if this is the thing that you care about, here's how you shape it and affect it and move it forward. I feel like what you're speaking about is the difference between some of your work and a project that we were both close to, the Just Mercy movie. The movie came out with the goal of eradicating the death penalty in America, but didn't quite make the cultural splash it needed to to, to have the momentum I think it needed to get that done. How do you continue to meet people where they are without sanitizing or watering down the message? Well, first of all, Just Mercy was a single piece of content. 
the world of hope posters wouldn't work today. The world of, of like a single piece of content changing the world are like far behind us. We are in a new era where it's the pace at which we need to create, the way we need to navigate the algorithms are, it's faster, it's more. No one piece of content's gonna do shit. We need an army of humans thinking and creating. We need the creative sector and we need to turn that power over from the creator to the creators, right? The collective creators. We need to be creating invitations for people who engage in a creative process, which there are different layers of that, right? There's the rigorous versions of people who have art careers and people who have built an academic pedagogy behind their practice down to professionals who sometimes have that, sometimes don't. Sometimes you're doing it by, I'm, I'm an instinct-based creator. I don't have a degree in art. I'm pretty smart, but I can't necessarily connect what I'm doing to like an academic study of what's come before and after me, right? And then you've got down to hobbyists, right? Which is, if you think of this as a triangle, right? There's the well pedagogy down to the professionals, down to the like giant base of people who are just making shit every day. They're just posting because they post, right? What you need is you need ways of structuring and inviting all of that to the party. And it's a waterfall where each one of these inspire more and more content being generated, right? It's not that one piece at the top that everyone's going to fall in love with. It's this layer of influence, right? It's this waterfall of influence that creatives have. It's the role of the artist in society, right? What is the role of artists in society in general? They are healers. There are storytellers, there are conveners, right? It's Chris Rock can say shit that Obama would have been fired for the first day. We trust our creators to speak truth to us in a way that nobody else, our politicians can't speak to us like that. The latest piece of content from Dave Chappelle is such a good example. But we're also in an era where shit's on its head, right? Trump says shit that I'm like, what the fuck? Like, so all this is dynamic and it's changing, but what will remain is that the creators are ultimately the people who go in and you're the meat tenderizers for the soul. You prepare people to receive new views, new perspectives, different aesthetics, like aesthetic views of the world around them, right? You prepare people to absorb and feel in a way that may evoke empathy, that may invoke connections in ways that they just didn't have before. And that is where ultimately where Rashad is going to, because yes, we need somebody to make a better poster for that thing. And, and I'm in that work, trust me, I'm all day making better things for laws and movements and strategies. But at the end of the day, those are moments. At the end of the day, what we're looking for is that transfer, the sum total of all this involvement to lead towards a cultural shift. and. That shift means you connecting deeply with the people around you and bringing, if you're bringing your heart to the table and you're engaging people and you're transforming in front of them, right? If you learn at the same time and expose that learning to your people who are following you and you're engaging in them in that process, that's where the magic is, by the way. You will have ripple effects of work into culture that will dynamically shift the way that we live years down the road. You brought up that Just Mercy is a single piece of content, and we're living in this era that demands lots of content, which is a good segue to what you're up to now. Can you tell me about Into Action, what the goals are with it, and some of the most exciting things that have happened since you launched the project? It's an experiment. 
Uh, I've run, so after the Hope poster I went, I worked at the White House for a year and a half as Obama's arts and youth liaison. I'm the first person ever to have a West Wing arts job, which is pretty crazy. The arts traditionally have been the East Wing, which is First Lady's office, which is pomp and circumstance. Traditionally, the First Lady has, is where like presentational work happens. My job was to make sure that like policy and the arts and policy moved forward. We engaged with Michelle in her office all the time. She was as deep in the West Wing work as she was in East Wing work. And to be clear, she was unlike any First Lady before. From there, I went, I was Director of Communications at the National Endowment for the Arts. And then I left and started Task Force. Over the last 10 years, when I left government, I was like, whoa, that, should, that was fucking cool. Now what? Right? Like, I decided that I needed to tease this thing out. This, like, how do we make this a thing? I can tell you that there aren't many organizations out there with cultural organizing line items, right? Like people aren't seeking me out in the world to give me money to do this work, right? It's not a thing. The politics people think that what I do is cute. The arts people what I think what I do is propaganda. It's a, it's a different space. Organizers understand this shit like nobody's business. They're like, yeah, if we want to engage people, we sing, right? Like we dance, we, we cheer, we hug, we laugh. This is one-on-one. This is nothing new for organizers. And most of these organizers, by the way, are people of color, most of them are women, most of them queer, right? So we waterfall up. People who are often given the least power understand the most powerful tools that we have, right? Because they have to. They don't have giant budgets to force down messages through Facebook. They need to fucking change hearts, right? It, It makes sense. At the end of the day, What I believe is, though, is that there is a sector to be built here. And that is that we need to empower artists to be artists and that more people like me need to, I put up white walls and lights, so to speak, right? I facilitate creative engagement. We need a sector of people. Artists shouldn't also have to be business fucking leaders. They should be able to be all the things and focus on the craft. And so our goal is to expand the influence and power of that sector, supporting the artists in social engagement. That's layer one. So what are we doing about it? I've teased a lot of shit over the last 10 years. I've done giant festivals where we did one in LA called We Rise recently, 44,000 people coming through talking about mental health, but not like, hey, I need yoga, which is great, I'm not knocking yoga. This is like white supremacy has robbed our communities of safety and removed our connection to the earth and removed our connection to each other, right? Like what are the social determinants of all the maladaptive coping, right? Gang life, drugs, all that shit is a response. It's a problem, but it's a response, right? So this is, this is our work. What we've ended up in is we've generated a way of mass producing content that we're gaming. I'm gaming gifts is the way I would say it. I have taken over Giphy. We are now generating 68% of content on Giphy and I've taken it from crappy, cutesy anime to somewhat important cutesy anime. I don't know how else to say that. It's, we are the most trending content on Giphy. We're three months in. We just passed our 8 billion view mark. Not bad. We have probably three or four trending pieces a day on Giphy. I've got 
35 animators who are making somewhere between 250 to 300 pieces of content a week. I am rebalancing the libraries that fuel social media is the way that we, that we pitch it. Right now there's a wild lopsided and we are rebalancing it. And what we're doing is we're generating issue specific content that is unbranded and mostly evergreen. And so usually who's responsible for making anti-gun violence content? Sometimes the beautiful shit comes from the artists when they get inspired, right? But the people who get the, actually who get the budgets, it's the nonprofits. The nonprofits fucking suck at this stuff. And so we are trying to remove the power from the nonprofits and give it to the creatives so that they're generating the work and then we're giving it back to the nonprofits for free. And so we're paying the artists, they're generating unbranded content that we're giving to the nonprofits and they're sharing it wildly. So what we're doing is we're giving people, the way that I talk about it is I'm giving people the tools they need to advocate on their own behalf. I want to be able to tell my friends, this dude's an asshole. What do I have to do that right? Right now I retweet an article. That's what's available to me. Politics people are giving me news that I get to retweet. I'm mad, right? What we're trying to do is be like, tell your people in your voice, like which, which way of these do you want to talk about Trump being a dick when it comes to Corona? You got 37 options here, right? Choose one. You want the cutesy one? You want the political ad one? We are doing our best to make culturally relevant content for cultural people. Thank you for joining me on What We Don't Know. If you liked what you heard, we post the full interviews on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. If you become a patron, you'll have access to those full interviews plus other exclusive content. 50% of the revenue that this podcast generates goes towards the initiatives and organizations of our guests. So you'll not only be supporting this podcast, but you'll also be supporting some amazing, amazing work. If you'd like to follow us on social, we're at WWDKPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On YouTube, you can find our channel if you search What We Don't Know Podcast. And if you go to our website, www.dkpod.com, you can sign up for our newsletter where we share all the latest content. All right. Hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. Take care.